And we're off. Welcome to Fin10, the podcast about fintechs that takes 10 minutes or less. I am your host, Josh Herman, the CEO of CU Digital One. CU Digital One is a credit union service organization, or CUSO, is a holding company focusing on three forward-looking verticals, blockchain, digital investment solutions, and artificial intelligence. For more information, connect with me on LinkedIn. Now, I am very excited about today's guest, Sean Banerjee. Sean's career is a testament to his exceptional ability to intertwine finance expertise with technological innovation. His professional path was sparked by an early stint at Microsoft, where as a child, he discovered a deep-rooted passion for technology. This early experience laid the foundation for his future endeavors at the intersection of technology and finance. In 2009, Sean co-founded Redrow Capital Partners, where he pioneered digital distribution in residential mortgage trading and loan sales. His expertise in managing complex financial instruments, particularly distressed debt, led Redbrook to oversee more than 11 billion, that's billion with a B, in transactions, demonstrating his profound understanding of market intricacies and strategic acumen. Building upon his success, Sean, in collaboration with his co-founder, Rohit Gopal, launched Orson in 2019. The venture represented a leap forward in the finance industry, integrating sophisticated financial engineering with advanced technology. Attracting top-tier engineering talent globally, Orson has been instrumental in transforming the landscape of loan trading through innovative data analytics and automation. As the CEO of Orson, Sean continues to drive industry innovation, leveraging his extensive knowledge and foresight to anticipate and adapt to evolving market trends. His journey from an enthusiastic young intern to a visionary leader in fintech embodies his commitment to merging deep market insights with the latest technological advancements, continually shaping the future of the finance sector. Wow, welcome to the Fin10 podcast, John. That's quite the resume there. Josh, thank you so much. We're gonna dive right into it here. The format is is 10 minutes or less. Um, we'll see how well we do with sticking to that, but we have four questions here, three that are kind of aimed aimed right at you. And then we have our Fin10, Fin Teach moment um, where we kind of try to glean some information from, from your expertise. So the first question here is kind of simplistic. You're CEO and co-founder of Orson Inc. So what what is it, what do you all do? Orson's at the forefront of fintech innovation, especially as it relates to institutional resi mortgage trading and whole loan trading broadly. Our platform essentially bridges credit unions, banks, dealers, and private capital, enhancing liquidity and efficiency in the secondary whole loan markets. We're committed to technology to tailor solutions that meet the specific challenges of our customers, a base that we've served in an analog sense since 2009, uh, and have started, you know, a digital electronic platform to serve that same base as of 2019. Um, so, so kind of switching gears a, a little bit, you're your CEO and a co-founder now, you're managing director at Redbrook Partners. So what's it like going from a position as a managing director to, to now kind of co-founding a, a fintech startup that has to be a change in gears a little bit? Yeah, there was certainly there was certainly a change in gears. Um, you know, when I established Redbrook in 2009, it was during the GFC, and we were really laser focused on sub and non-performing middle markets and larger commercial real estate driven opportunities. Our customers were opportunity funds, and our you know sellers were typically regional and community banks. And you know, the pattern at Redbrook was we were able to go from distressed trading to kind of whole loan performing residential mortgage trading. We were able to scale that 
to include consumer assets like auto loans, RV loans, credit cards, et cetera. During that time, we partnered with large investment banks and helped them broaden their distribution. One of the things Redbrook would become known for was digital distribution. We were able to effectively cover the entire market coast to coast within a couple of clicks and make sure that any offering we brought to market had auditable broad visibility, which was a durable competitive advantage relative to all of the other dealers um, particularly the broker dealers that were kind of covering that space at the time. When when we started Redbrook, um, the climate was very different. You know, it was really the late 2000s. Um, you know, social climate was different. Um, there was a lot of exploratory kind of transactions that you know that we looked at, um, spun our wheels a lot, a lot of learnings. But really, I think what came of the decade of running Redbrook. Um, was $11 billion of transactional volume. Um, but beyond that was a very deep and intricate understanding of how assets go from origination into the secondary market and how, you know, if you think about an asset like a child, like how does that child matriculate from, you know, grade school to middle school to high school to college? Like what are the various configurations of college, you know, from technical school to the Ivy Leagues? Um, well, understanding those paths for for loan assets is really critical to understanding the motivations and the liquidity um, behind them. And when we were able to do that, uh, we basically said our next goal is to take our learnings in a platform approach and build tooling that would allow our customers to do what Redbrook or any other broker dealer has done in loan sales. Uh, you know, using technology, taking a data-driven approach. The most interesting thing about building Orson versus building Redbrook was Redbrook was really an exercise in relationship development and business development. It was, you know, doing a lot of cold calling, a lot of like travel and meeting folks at different institutions, um, you know, getting the brand name out there. And when we started Orson, everyone was very excited because... They had already been working with us for over a decade. They'd traded, you know, real pools at scale for real dollars that, uh, you know, we were able to successfully get them. And so there was a trust factor that was just inescapable. So we had that benefit, but what I didn't do in my past was build a technology team. Um, what I was able to do was really leverage my co-founder's expertise. He was a senior engineer in Amazon Web Services here in Seattle prior to joining Orson. And between the two of us, we put together an advisory board that's comprised of folks like Vijay Vasi and Adam Bosworth. Vijay was the GM of Microsoft PowerPoint at launch. Adam was the creator of Microsoft Access and went on to create you know, other you know, luminary software products that have been used by millions of people around the world. And we were able to leverage the team that we put together to bring in better talent, more talent, um, and eventually put incredibly talented engineers in front of the same people that we talked to on loan trades for a decade understand and confirm the issues that we saw in the analog world and really start building a digital solution. 
But building Orson was building a technology company, whereas Redbrook was building a services company. I think that without Redbrook, it would have been incredibly difficult to build Orson because while secondary markets in loan trading obviously present a very you know, apparent opportunity or evident opportunity, um, the intricacies are, are really what drive the market. And you know, I think the, the social term is the devils in the details. And uh, those are details that we understood at a very, very deep level, married that with the relationships that we created at, at Redbrook and were you know, good stewards of for a decade, parlayed that into a platform approach at Orson. That's awesome. That's great background too. And I hope the listeners were, were paying attention to the details there. And I just want to echo again, $11 billion uh, with the B, that's that's quite the big number and huge accomplishment. Huge accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Josh. There was a there was a point in time in which uh, you know a couple of young twenty somethings from Seattle that didn't know much about capital markets in general, um, you know, were just getting started and and trying to kind of boot up Redbrook. And what we found was that the industry that we were you know creating in was tremendously receptive to new, fresh ideas um, as long as there was value to be delivered. And for the last decade before starting Orson, Redbrook really focused on delivering that value through execution of loan trades to our customers. And I think that earned us the trust and the opportunity to put Orson together, which is something that you know we've been very excited about since Ro and I started. And you said something super important there. It's not just about being innovative or trying something new. There's a lot of fintechs that are just trying something new. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what has helped, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what has helped catapult your success um, was having a, a value proposition, actually delivering value. So it's not a solution in search of a problem. It's you are actually delivering value um, from from the start. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's a really valuable takeaway. I think that I think that's that's spot on. Um, you know, the first genesis of Redbrook customers represented some of the most sophisticated opportunity funds on the street um, during the GFC, and uh, they made it pretty clear that you know they were happy to look at transactions and and get deals done. But there was a way of doing business. We needed to understand that, and we needed to make sure that we delivered value through that process. And um, you know, it it was a very familiar pattern. Um, I think with the next question you're about to ask me. Yeah, and and this next one is is again we're going to change gears um, a little bit here. But if my memory serves me correctly, you're a pretty competitive swimmer. <laughs> um, back back in the day, back in the day. Uh, so how how do you think that level of competition has helped you in in your career, or if it has at all? Sure. Um, in my uh, in my teens, uh, which was you know a couple decades ago at this point, um, I was a world ranked swimmer. I swam for a program under an Olympic coach um, for over a decade. Um, you know, top 50 in the world. And I think what I, what I gather from, from my training in that time was we were swimming a little under 4,000, 4,000 miles a year. So about 120,000 yards a week. 
And uh, at 14 years old, like you would rather be doing a thousand other things than staring at the bottom of a pool back and forth in silence for hours. But it's an incredibly disciplined sport. It is a sport that requires tremendous dedication and consistency. And uh, I think in my training group, there were multiple national champions, a well-known Olympic gold medalist, as well as a you know pretty regular rotation of other Olympians that would come and train from around the country. And what I gathered from that time was that I was probably um, fairly fortunate to have the exposure that I did to that level of, of a training group. And the participation in that group required a significant amount of, of sacrifice. You know, fast forward 20 years. So um, Redbrook started off as a, as a side project to make you know, some ends meet for my family. And it ended up just transforming into a well-known intermediary coast to coast, which was certainly not what I set out to do, but I would be remiss in, in not mentioning that I don't know that I'd be able to do that or have the discipline to stick in when things didn't go as planned without that early exposure to very elite level competitive swimming. That's incredible. I mean, so it really puts validity to the phrase sink or swim, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want, I don't want to sound corny, but that's like, like that's, that's literally what it is though. And I think that mentality kind of, kind of stuck with you a little bit. I mean, you talk about world records. I definitely am not a world ranked swimmer. I wonder if I'd be a world ranked floater. I'm given where I'm at in my life. Um, but uh, no, the sink or swim thing, um, I, I think is is a good takeaway. Is a good takeaway from that. Um, so we do a fin ten fin teach moment on this program. That's why I, I really love having experts like yourself and successful entrepreneurs and co-founders like yourself on here because there's a lot of listeners who who are just looking for you know a, a tidbit of advice to hang on to. Um, so you're at the five year mark as as being uh, the co-founder here. What advice would you give to a fintech maybe in year one or year two um, that, that they can kind of take away and, and hang on to? I, I guess looking back, um, you talk about the grind. Was, was the grind actually worth it? So I guess we'll find out. Um, you know, startups are, are, you know, everybody thinks about startups in terms of short-term success and, and a lotto ticket. And, and the reality is, um, you know, people who have done startups probably wouldn't wish them on their worst enemies. Like there's a lot of grinding, there's a lot of sacrifice. Um, and, you know, we live in a culture that emphasizes like work-life balance. And, you know, there are a lot of people that, uh, you know, perhaps believe in that. Um, but when you're at a startup, particularly, you know, early days at the infancy, there is no, you know, work-life balance. Like it's just going back to my swimming days. It's, you know, training three hours in the morning, going to school, training three hours at night and waking up and doing it again day after day after day. So startups are very similar, right? I think you need to stay flexible. I think you need to focus on scalable solutions, but also balance a long-term vision with short-term challenges. And our success is really a testament 
to the value of persistence, learning from our mistakes, and a commitment to transforming the market that we've been active in for over a decade. You know, um, I, I continue to go back to my sentiment about the ability to create Orson was earned by serving the same customer base in the analog sense at Redbrook. And, you know, we started out like many startups and technology do back in 2009. Uh, you know, the co-founder that I had at Redbrook that worked with me, uh, James, he and I grew up in Seattle. We had no exposure to financial services whatsoever. We had no friends in banking. Uh, we had never even went to New York before really starting Redbrook. And so I think that when you put your, I, George Shin has a really good quote. He used to own a basketball team and he's got this quote that goes something like, you know, when you set your mind to something, your mind will find ways of, of making it happen. And, uh, you know, whether it's been in athletics, whether it's been, you know, as a trader or whether it's been as a FinTech executive, that's been a fairly consistent theme throughout my life. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. That's one of the great things. I mean, Sean, you and I have talked a, a few times. And one of the things I really like about talking to you is there's no fluff. You just keep it real. It, it is what it is. Um, and, and I think I, I heard that in that response as well. So I'm sure we're going to get comments here about how can people get a hold of you. So if you don't mind sharing some information, how, how can the listeners get a hold of you? So ORSNN.com is uh, our fintech's website. Take a look at it. It explains what we do, the segments that we serve. Um, we're happy to walk folks through demos or just have introductory conversations. The website's a great way to get a hold of me and the rest of the team. Awesome. This is very cool. Thanks again for joining me today, Sean. Thanks to the listeners for listening, and we're out.